By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. Today on our episode of the Conscious Fertility Podcast, I'm talking with Karen Kadar, and I'm looking forward to talking to her about the stress and the vagus nerve and how it can impact fertility and what you can do. And I want to give an introduction to Karen, but before I do, I just want to give a disclaimer or a trauma alert. I don't know how to describe this, but we're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about masturbation as well. And if things about sexuality, masturbation are triggers for you, then I just want to let you know we're going to talk about that. So you have the choice whether you want to listen to this or or not. And I'm sure Karen will have something to say about that as well as we begin. But I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is for 18 and older, and we will be talking about sexuality and masturbation. So Karen um, has been practicing holistic women's health for over 20 years now, and she's an acupuncturist and herbalist. But most of all, I see her as an educator and advocate for women's health. She's actually spoken at the Integrated Fertility Symposium. That's the Integrated Fertility Symposium that I have chaired for many years. And it was such a treat to have her talk about stress and pregnancy um, when she came to Vancouver, Canada to, to teach. And she's been practicing Chinese medicine privately at the Women's Place Clinic in Israel and also in a hospital setting where she explores the use of acupuncture and Chinese herbs um, for aiding IVF cycles and IUI cycles, which is why um, I was so excited to talk to Karin today about stress and the vagus nerve around fertility because of her experience um, in the hospital setting. And um, a few years ago, with a group of um, other outstanding women, Karen founded the Karen Bria, it's an Israeli nonprofit organization for voicing women's needs regarding their health. And this is where I had this incredible connection with Karen because many of you know for the Conscious Fertility podcast, my agenda has been to help us heal the world. We heal our hearts and hearts and minds. And there's this idea that we come here with conscious fertility and through our conscious work, we have conscious conception, conscious pregnancy, and then conscious parenting. And these children get their attachment needs met, hopefully during their childhood and grow up to be great citizens of the world. And talking with Karin, um, she has this passion in this organization to help young women through all stages of life. So puberbrescent, through puberty, through the reproductive years, into menopause and even into end of life care. And so I really wanted her to share about what her organization is doing for women at all phases of their life. And so she has shared with me that she really loves accompanying women in their feminine transitions. And she says from budding womanhood to becoming a fertile young woman, from the working woman having a career and trying to balance it all to the journey of conception, pregnancy, motherhood, right into that perimenopausal shift and then becoming of a mature woman. And she really shares how lucky she feels to be able to spend time with women as a facilitator, as a caretaker, right into their last days on this planet Earth. And she has been uh, recently with a group of dreamers on a mission to establish education, health, and care services for young women in the U.S. Her goal is to create a wraparound hybrid well-being centers for young women to learn about health and receive multidisciplinary comprehensive care when they are challenged physically and emotionally. So that's kind of Karen's bio, and I have to share um, with our audience how we also met um, when I came to uh, lecture myself in, in Tel Aviv, Israel. What a host and a beautiful soul Karen is. She got our group together. She chose some incredible restaurants for us to eat at at different nights. And just the foodie that she is, the food that we ate was amazing, and how she brought people together and we shared, we laughed. It, it was really an incredible experience for me. But I always share when Karen and I get together that my highlight was after dinner, she, she was my transportation. And uh, we had parked. And when we went to the car, 
it was boxed in. It was it was ridiculous. And so I suggested that we go back and meet up with some of the people that stuck around and have some more drinks because we're not going anywhere. And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? I can get out of this. And I was like, you're not getting out of this, but let's try it. And we went into her vehicle and I don't know how she did it. It defies the laws of physics, but she was able to forward, backward, forward, backward, side, left, right, whatever, and get us out of that parking lot. And so that's the highlight, not the highlight, but that's the thing, Karen, that I'll always remember you for <laughs> is how you got us out of that parking lot. <laughs> so welcome to the Conscious Fertility Podcast. Thank you so much for introducing me and for inviting me. I really like myself through your eyes. I uh, was listening to you and I said, oh, she sounds like a cool woman. <laughs> you, you definitely are a cool woman. And I wanted to like jump in and talk about the vagus nerve. And so can you give us an overview of stress and fertility and what, what is this vagus nerve that we're talking about and why do you think it's so important and why you want to talk about this? You know, we have the autonomic nervous system and until quite recently, it was uh, divided into two sections, the sympathetic, which is the fight or flight or reaction and the parasympathetic, which is, you know, rest and digest or relaxation or anything that is not reactful. But, you know, life is not that simple. It's not either we react or we don't react. And it's not either we fight or we relax, right? The complexity of life. And that's actually a beautiful thing. The fact that we're so complex, the way we can react to situations is very complex. The vagus nerve is part of the parasympathetic part of the autonomic nervous system. And again, when we say autonomic, it's really, really important to remember that autonomic means that it's not something that we can really change unless we try and try again to rewire this connection between our brains and our body. So autonomic means that it's subconscious. It's not something we choose. It's something that happens to us, right? So parasympathetic part has a part in it, which let's say the dominant nerve of the parasympathetic is the vagus nerve. And it's actually a nerve from the head. It's a cranial nerve. It's not a nerve from our spine. So it's really, really important to remember that it starts in the back of our head and it goes into the organs through the neck, into the heart, into our breathing, into the gut, stomach, our intestines, and it actually ends in our pelvic floor. Okay, so first of all, anatomy. It starts in the back of our head, and it ends in the pelvic floor at our genitals. So that's very, very important, first of all, to remember anatomy. And I think that's why they call it the like wandering nerve, right? Because it goes from like head down to our to the lower part of our, our body. It has so many beautiful names. Uh, some call it the vagabond. Uh, others say it's the nomad. Some will say the wandering nerve. It has so many beautiful uh, names. Actually, some people would say it's the kundalini energy, the kundalini, kundalini you know, um, mm. a snake septum. It's that some would say that that they're the same. That actually. The whole chakras and the septum of the kundalini, that's the vagus nerve itself. So the vagus has something that is extremely important. It has a way to look in the outside world and our inside world and to decide whether we are safe or in danger. And not only whether we are safe, whether we are safe and enjoy and pleasure, Mm -hmm. Or we are in danger and knows whether it's real danger, something that we, we are under a life threat or in danger that we have the capacity to react. So we can look at this spectrum, right? It allows us to, so you're saying it allows us to perceive our environment and whether we're safe or not so safe. Exactly. It has a way to do what we call neuroception. It's to detect through the nervous system with the aid of our sensory organs, mainly the eyes and the ears, but also the skin and other sensory capacities of our body to understand, first of all, the outside world, whether what I see and what I hear is safe for me and is safe for me, do I enjoy it? And if it isn't safe for me, am I in danger? And if I am in danger, what kind of danger? But not only does it use 
our senses to look at the outside world, it has a beautiful capacity to look at the inside landscape of our body. It can detect our heart rate. It can detect our larynx, whether we can swallow properly, whether we can sound ourselves, voice ourselves. It has the capacity to observe our breathing patterns. So it actually sends information to our brain, telling us about what's going on in the inside and the outside of our landscape. Uh, how does this impact reproductive health if it's perceiving danger? And I know in our past conversations, this is perception. You're not necessarily in danger all the time, but you're perceiving danger. So how, how does this affect um, reproductive health and this, this balance of or homeostasis balance that we're looking for in our body? First of all, our body doesn't have the capacity to understand whether what we perceive as a life threat is indeed a life threat. So our body, when it perceives something that is threatening, and again, if we were traumatized, it may have a library of many, many things that objectivity, we can say objectively, they're not dangerous. But since we had stuff happening to us in our lives, whether it is in our past, and some may even say in the life we lived in our mother's womb, and some may even say that it's past memories, past memories that passed from generation to generation. It has a library in which it looks at and says, oh, that's danger. And when my body perceives danger, danger is danger. If it thinks I'm in danger, and let's say my body thinks it saw a tiger, okay? And I, my body reacts to a tiger. For my body, this is a real tiger. After some time, my body is supposed to understand that this is not a real tiger, but it's just a perceived tiger to relax myself and to get me back on track to be, you know, relaxed and happy. But if my nervous system is unable to tap back into feeling safe, it may feel in danger all the time. And we can think about it in a simple biological way. Are we supposed to have babies when someone is chasing us? Absolutely not. Am I able to have sex when someone is trying to kill me? Absolutely not. So our body is hardwired for a connection in safety, but is, is less hardwired to be connected when we feel in life threat. But by the way, if we feel that we're in a threat, someone else can help us, then we can actually use this stress to call for help. So it's really important to understand that stress is not a bad thing, right? We all like to bad mouth about stress. Stress is really important for our lives as it helps us change. It helps help us uh, explore other options. It helps us rewire neural connections. It helps us react. And it also helps us physically. Again, if I am threatened by something, my body is able to give me energy to run away or to fight, right? That's mm -hmm. good stuff. It's not a bad thing. But fertility-wise or sexually-wise, when I'm under a lot of stress, these are not as important as survival. And survival always comes first. Right. So you're saying if you're constantly in this chronic stress or your body body is perceiving stress, then it can take a priority of survival over reproduction because that's the hierarchy. Absolutely. We can look at it through the lens of neurology, through the lens of neurons and nerves, but we can also look at it through the lens of hormones. When we have a lot of sex hormones, but our body is mainly working on the HPA axis and the axis of the adrenals. So the, can we define the H, HPA axis? So the hypo, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, you're saying? We can just call it brain adrenal connection. Okay. The adrenals are those that are in charge of giving us hormones of to, that we will be able to use stress in a good way. Let's say when I am excited, I have high adrenaline. Adrenaline is very short. I also have other many, many other um, hormones and neurotransmitters. But the most important thing to understand that this is the line of connection between my body and my brain, connectivity regarding 
stress, but also regarding testosterone is that it has a, a connection to the adrenals. So it's not again only stress in a bad way. It's also to be able to hunt, to be able to pursue something. But these are hormones of reaction to the outside. The other axis is the axis between our brain and our ovaries. The axis of the adrenals will always win because that's the axis of survival. The axis of the ovary, that's for reproduction, and we need to be in some kind of a minimum capacity of relaxing in order for this axis to work as well. Did it? Is, was that understood? Yeah. So we're having this HPA axis, HPO axis. So you have, you have the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis and you have the hypothalamus pituitary ovarian axis. So the hypothalamus pituitary part are together and you have the adrenals and the ovaries competing. We're saying this generally, but competing for, for attention. And so if you're in that survival mode all the time, you're consuming or using resources for survival that are now not as available for reproduction. Exactly. But also we need to remember another thing that mm -hmm. there is the component of sexuality here. Most people make their babies by intercourse. Others make them by other ways, whether it's from their choice or whether it isn't from their choice. But most people, when they try to conceive, if they're heterosexual, will do it by having sexual intercourse. And again, in order to be able to, To have sexual intercourse, you need to be in a parasympathetic activation because if not, you will not be able to relax into the situation of having sex. And if we think about those, that's kind of easy to understand. But now let's think of those who need the aid of technology. HRT, IUIs, anything, IVFs, I mean, all kinds of technology, even just adding some medicine, some hormones, that's also very taxing to the body. Not only it is taxing physically, it's very taxing emotionally. Every month you're feeling like you're, uh, you know, you're under a magnifying glass. You're being tested. You have a feeling that you might fail. And failure is very, very stressful. So let's say you do it once. That's kind of stressing, but not terribly. But think about the couples or the single people who try to conceive and time and time again, they don't get it. And they feel more and more like failures. And they go and try and see another doctor and they try something else. And it's always them who feel like failing. That's also very, very stress making. And that actually makes you less available for pregnancy and not more available. So it's this seesaw that is so hard to explain to people why, you know, relaxing into the process, uh, believing and trusting the process is a really important part of trying to conceive. Yeah. And I'll, I want to add to this because this is what the Conscious Fertility Podcast is about is first, as you shared, acknowledging that this journey is stressful. They didn't choose mm. this journey. They wanted, hoping to start their families easily. And so acknowledging that for many people, this is a really challenging process. And although there's no survival benefit, like it's not like there's a tiger going to eat you, the body doesn't know the difference and all these stress homes for survival are being released. And then just to, for our, the listeners, because you're like, yeah, now I feel more stress because stress is bad for my fertility, right? that you are going to share later in our podcast tools on what they Absolutely. can do to yeah. teach the body to um, elicit the relaxation response and to support the vagus nerve, we'll call it for now that way, how to, how to support that process while you're on this journey. You know, with the vagus nerve, you know, starting, like you said, from the, the brain coming down, you know, on the neck, through the heart and lungs, and into the gut, Can you share a little bit about this gut fertility connection and how you see the vagus nerves process in this, how it, in, how it's impacting the gut health in, in a positive or a not so positive way? Absolutely. First of all, we'll talk about stress hormones a bit again. Stress hormones do affect the way you 
digest things. It's not only uh, physical digestion. I eat food, I break it down, I, uh, I use some of it, and then, you know, I secrete what I don't need, but it's also the emotional and spiritual uh, digesting. I hear stuff, I see stuff. So when I talked about the way the vagus nerve is relating to our outside and inside world, that's digestion. Okay, some of the digestion will be through our eyes and our ears, and that's the stuff we hear and the stuff we see. And some of it will be the digestion of the food we eat, but not only that of how we ate it, with whom did we eat it, did we like it? That reminds me of our meal in Israel. Exactly. That, I mean, you're just the way you're describing this, our vagus nervous system in a very positive way was activated because we felt safe, we had community, the food was delicious. It was just like that, how we ate it, not just what we ate. So thank you. That's, that's what just went really, off. really, really important, at least in my point of view, when we speak to others about food, nutrition, it's not only the what, the how, the when, the whom with, the environment, the kind of criticism I have towards myself when I eat whether I indulge myself into pleasure or indulgement means guilt, whether I eat and I count every bite, whether I'm afraid someone will see me eating. That's also, so again, when we say digestion through the lens of the vagus nerve, that's the digestion of life, but also our internal life. The memories of how my mother used to look at me when I ate. The Things my dad used to say, aren't you full? Maybe it's time to stop eating, Karin. My father never said that, but some people get that from their parents, you know, criticism towards eating, towards weight. So that's Vegas itself. But then if we want to look at the component of fertility, we need to add the microbioma, the germs that are inside our guts, inside, by the way, our brain, our mouth, our ears, our vaginas. This, we have about a kilogram to two kilograms of germs inside of body. And when I, every time I think about it, I mean, in quantity, it, it really gets me like crazy. I'm like, oh my God, that's two kilos of so much information, so much intelligence. And a lot of research now is done on, depression, anxiety, heart failure, of course, gut health, but also fertility health in our microbiome. And again, the microbiome is made of two components, the food we eat and how it breaks down, but also the environment in which it broke down. So if we talk about it in, you know, food-wise, we call the prebiotics and probiotics, right? We can add good germs to our body, but if our, the soil of our body, the soil of our soul is not reluctant to host good environment, then we will host bad environment. And bad environment is, again, through the vagal nerve, telling our brains that fertility is not a very good idea, that releasing into pleasure, into sexuality is actually very, very dangerous. You know, there is the gut brain intelligence, there is the vagina brain intelligence. And if we look at them as one line, we can see that from the brain, through the heart, the breathing, the gut, we get to our uterus and our vagina and they're all connected, right? They're all, all connected. And we can use many, many ideas of what connects them. It's like this very 3D, uh, multidimensional model, hormones and the microbioma and nerves. And of course, the emotional and spiritual aspects. And these are all part of this. What is fertility, if not the ability and possibility of not only hosting someone inside of me that is only half me. So I need to host someone who's half a foreigner to my body, half a foreigner to my immune system. I need to allow it to take away energy, to take away 
matter from my body to grow inside of me, to change my brain, to change my body. That's a lot of stuff that I need to allow myself to happen in me, right? That's very taxing if you think of it in the aspect of spiritual and emotional fertility. That's scary. The amount of women that I see in the clinic that even talking about pregnancy or the changing body, their whole body reacts as stress. Talking about uh, motherhood, especially to those who had bad childhood experiences. And when I say bad childhood experiences, I'm not talking, Lauren, just about, you know, traumatic or objectifying what is trauma. We all have our own stories and these are our stories. Some stories may seem like it's it's nothing, uh, you know, uh, someone forgot to take me from the kindergarten. My dad used to come home and he would be really quiet in the first hour he came home. Uh, my parents didn't communicate well. That's not like we, we don't say, oh, that's very trauma. No, it is very traumatizing. When a child learns about the outside world, he or she learns about it from their parents. And this is part of the library, this vagus nerve builds in our brain. And as you, as you shared at the very beginning, we get imprinted and there is research showing transgenerational. So based on your ancestors mm -hmm. in utero and then intentionally, unintentionally how your parents raised you. And this is imprinting on our, on our vagus nervous system. And, and, you, and I want to highlight that you shared that it's not so much the event, whether you got picked up late from kindergarten or whether there was something very physically or emotionally traumatic event. It's how the individual internalizes and processes the event that determines the trauma in the body and the vagus nerve. Exactly. So this internalization and processing is based exactly as you said, on factors that are imprinted in us. You can call it genetics, you can call it epigenetics, you can call it transgenerational information passaging. There are many names to call it. Yeah, but we're not, we're not alone in this world. We came with the heritage and with the baggage to conception to pregnancy to I mean when we were in our mother's womb so when we were born our first day on earth we already had a library in in our brain telling us what is safe and what isn't safe I can give you a really simple stupid uh, example but I like this example you know how in our culture women are trying not to gain too much weight during their pregnancies. And some take it overly serious and try not to gain weight. So they eat very, very strictly during their pregnancies. They don't get enough calories. And they end the pregnancy with being extremely lean. And unfortunately, in our culture, they get praise. It's amazing. You didn't gain any weight. So from the culture eyes, that's, it is amazing. Uh, she didn't, her body didn't change. She got back into her figure really quickly. But if you look at it from the eyes of the baby in utero, this baby doesn't know that the outside world has abundance of options, of possibilities of food. It only got what its mother gave him or her during gestational months. So the baby's genes are then programmed to be able to survive in a world that has sparse food. So this baby, when it will come out to the world and will find out that actually what his mother told him about the world wasn't true, will be more prone to be overweight, to have diabetic uh, type 2 when she or he will be very young. So their body is programmed exactly to what his or her mother programmed them during pregnancy. And we can talk about many, many examples of taste, sound, emotions. I just want to um, point out, though, is that so many people have, myself included, we got um, stories 
imprinting agendas. <laughs> that's that to mm-hmm, us program, mm-hmm. as I call the subconscious programs that don't serve us today. Mm. Um, we didn't choose them. And the good news, the good news is there's so much being written about this. There's so many authors, there's research experts. We're having this conversation today with Karen that there are some tools available to help you change that story, to help you change that relationship with the vagus nerve, with the external internal environment, so your body behaves differently. So I just wanted to share that, Karen, because I think it's important to let people know that there are things that we know today that people are using um, to impact their, their mental health. And I wanted to talk about some of these tools as well at some point. Before we wrap up, we still have time here to chat about this. I just want to share just the this vagus nerve, this wandering nerve, because there was something that you had shared with me off camera that I thought was quite interesting as well. Because I remember my reading, my training, the, the vagus nerve, you know, from the brain down to the gut area. And you had shared with me that now they understand that the vagus nerve goes all the way to the uterus and vagina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and, sure. It does. And so many of the women that I see voluntarily or in our consult share that they um, have been, had some sexual sexual abuse in their life. That's a, it's very unfortunate, but it uh, seems like a large number in my population of my practice that I, that I hear about this. And I'm wondering if you can speak on that, on how this could impact the vagus nerve and reproduction, and then talk about what you're seeing and, and why you wanted to talk about masturbation, because I think you said this is one of the things to to help support and and heal. So I'd love you to talk about that if you're open to that. For sure. So we have two things to talk about. First of all, is how to reactivate the vagus nerve in a healing way. And the other subject we're going to talk about, it's the connection to uh, the vulva and the vagina and the uterus. So we'll actually do them together. We know today that the vagus nerve actually ends in the pelvic floor in the vagina, in the uh, cervix, and in the uterus. And that's new science. So not everyone knows it, but it becomes the just, you know, just basic anatomy. And you were talking about a lot of women sharing with you that they've been hurt. I want to say something, and I may sound quite radical, but I will say that every woman in the Western world was not given, I'm trying to not be, you know, overly dramatic, was not given the opportunity to enjoy being a sexual, sensual woman in a broad, generous way. We live in society that that doesn't allow women to be sexual, healthy, well-being creatures. And we are so easily judged whenever we explore our sexuality, whenever we enjoy our sexuality, we're called in horrible names. If we allow ourselves to be sexual in this world, but we're also are demanded by society to be excellent lovers, to serve our partners in the best sexual way, to have multiple orgasms to squirt and to do whatever men and women see in pornography or here, you know, internet or other. So being a woman in the sexual realm is very confusing. What am I supposed to be? And confusion and not knowing what are you supposed to be and what will be okay and what feels, that's real stress. And that's very stressful. So a woman doesn't have to have a history of sexual assault that I will say that her sexual organs and her sexual pelvis and the pelvis itself is free and happy. Very few women have beautiful, happy pelvises that they will say, oh, I love my pelvis. It brings me so much joy, so much pleasure. Even this, I didn't say anything about sex. This may perceive a little bit drastical if one would say it in a, I don't know, a dinner, right? 
Some would say, I have a really good back, I have a strong back, I can lift weights, and no one will raise an eyebrow. But if a woman will say, I have such a happy pelvis, my pelvis can have wonderful sex, I enjoy the sensuality of my body, I like moving my thighs, then she will be called something not very nice. And that's very, very stressful. So first of all, being a woman in the Western world, that's stress, okay? But if we understand that this stress is something we hold in our body and every time our body is sexually activated, it sends signals to our brain of danger, then we connect sexuality and danger very, very easily, even if we don't want to. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that in order to become pregnant, hold a healthy pregnancy, give birth, return our bodies to a whole healthy adjusted pelvis, then to re-engage into sex and to enjoy sex and again and again and again. This requires a flexibility. It's an emotional neurological flexibility that again, we are so easily judged. We are told all the time how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, and that's not good for our nervous system and for our bodies. So why do I connect masturbation to that? First of all, because I like to, it's a defiance kind of a way. People don't like to talk about masturbation and People hate talking about women's menstruation. That's like a big no-no in our society. So first of all, I like the big no-nos. Second, I think the best way to charge your pelvis with a happy, joyful, pleasurable experiences is in the safest way, and that's touching yourself. So if we talked about, you know, reorganizing the library of experiences, of our sexual realm, the best way to start is to start loading more happy um, situations regarding your pelvis. And it's much easier to, you know, take care of the environment, put candles, find something that smells beautiful, put some beautiful music. And when I say masturbation, Lauren, I'm not talking about going uh, into a crazy uh, orgasm and using, you know, toys. That's beautiful and that's fun too. But what I'm talking about is about neutralizing and normalizing our pelvises as the places of joy, of pleasure, and not instinctively marking them as uh, threatening or dangerous areas. You know, you said something about masturbation, sexuality, because some of the women have shared that there's guilt when they're having sex with their married partners because of how it's been ingrained when they were younger about sex was dirty or sex was bad or, or how hard they tried not to get pregnant their whole life. And now they're trying to get pregnant. But when they really start to get in touch with themselves and do this conscious work, they start to realize they're, they have a sense of shame or guilt around their sexuality. And so I think what you're sharing about masturbation and how you're saying this can in fact impact the vagus nerve in a positive way. What about the women that have this issue where they feel it's it's wrong or or dirty? Do you just say you just you just start? How how do you go from this is bad, whether it's your religion or what you were brought up with, to incorporating this into changing the story of your body? And I always love the sciencey part of it as well. You talked before with me about the oxytocin and just what are the benefits that from the science for the people that love the science, how this is going to benefit their health and their reproductive health as well. So first of all, we can take the word masturbation and put it aside and say, tap into pleasure. That is a lot less explosives. When I speak to patients who have, you know, a religious background, I will not use the word masturbation as it is very, very scary. But tapping into pleasure or learning how to enjoy, that's okay, usually. And sexuality is not about genitals. It's about enjoyment. It's about sensuality. It's about play. 
It's to find playfulness in your body, in connection. So it is the connection between oneself, the connection between the child in me that was brought up to believe that this body is dirty, that sex is not to be enjoyed, and to meet my adult self who wants to rethink this, whether it is true for me or not. And I can keep this girl inside of me safe and still find pleasure as a woman by telling this girl inside of me, I know this is what we were told, but let's try something else. Let's see together how it will feel. There are no big exclamation marks here. It's, I always say that the most beautiful thing about a question mark, that it's an exclamation mark that was just hugged a bit. So it becomes, you know, it has this bounciness of the question mark. So that's the first of all, instead of, <gasps> it's like, hmm. so it's a different soundings, the way I talk to myself. It's the way I bathe myself in the shower. I will tell my patients, when you wash yourself, do it gently and with love. And the same way you touch your face when you wash your face, touch your vagina, touch your vulva in a way that is soft, that is loving, that is not, you know, clean, 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 as if it's a dirty place. It isn't. And then just, you know, we can start by caressing our hands and our shoulders and our neck. It doesn't matter where we touch ourselves as long as we touch ourselves with curiosity. Our vagus nerve really likes curiosity because then it goes around and saying, hmm, hmm. Mm. And when it has time to think, then it knows it's not danger, right? One of the things that we always know when it's real danger, we didn't ask ourselves, am I in danger? I knew I was in danger. But then after our body understood that this danger is just a perceived danger, I can breathe. I can exhale longer because that activates are parasympathetic, so I will inhale four and exhale eight. I can slowly touch myself instead of hastingly touching myself. I can dim the lights. I can close a window to have less noise in. These are all ways to comfort the vagus nerve by tapping into pleasure and enjoyment and that is masturbation, that's self-love. And then when I meet with my partner, I can invite her or, it or him to come inside me. I hate the word penetrational sex because penetration has this, you know, pushing in. It's not an invitation. I want to invite my partner to enter my body. So I use the word entrance or entering instead of penetrating. I want, my vagina prefers that word. When I want my partner, my husband to enter me, it's not penetrating me. It's, I want my body to hug the body of my partner. And he has a beautiful penis that I can hug with my body. And that's a very, very different way to speak about sex then you know, penis, vagina, penetration, that's very hostile. It's a language of hostility. What a powerful perceptional shift from penetration, hostile, to invitation, welcoming, entering. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a powerful perception. And shift. I have something very secretive to share with you and our listeners. When women take time, and their partners take time and they play together. And I, again, I don't use the word foreplay because foreplay means that there will be a main dish and the entrance of the penis, the finger, the toy into the vagina, that's not a main course. That's part of the game. That's part of this, you know, entertainment park that we play together. So the part before the entrance, when we give enough time for it, when we caress the whole parts of the clitoris, you know, we talked about it uh, in one of our conversation, how most women and especially most men don't even know that the clitoris is such a beautiful big organ. It's not this small, small knob 
that we were taught. The clitoris has four fingers, curas, and they uh, hug the entrance of the vagina. And once we get aroused, it's actually, it enlarges. It has, it has a capacity to be filled with blood. And then it has a capacity to help our body secrete sexual juices. And then our vagina actually starts opening up by herself. And if you look at the vagina of your lover, when she's ready, the mouth of the vagina will open and it will actually be like a mouth opening, telling you, I'm ready to be entered. And when people start negotiating sex, they talk, they use words. I am able to tell my lover, I think I'm ready. I feel my vagina opening to you, come in me. And this is very much of an invitation and not, you know, I'm dreading the moment he will come in. We are waiting together until we see that my vagina has her own mind again through the vagal nerve telling me and my lover, oh, I'm ready for this. Come, I want to hug you. And I think the more we learn how to converse about sex in a loving way, in a playful way, the more women and men will be able to heal their bodies. And again, that's the beautiful thing of the vagus nerve. It wants to relearn all the time. It wants to keep us safe. But more of that, it wants us to be happy and in pleasure. And then when we, you remember we talked about sex hormones, we need to add pleasure hormones or joyful hormones or serenity hormones. And there, of course, all the opioids and endorphins, but the queen of them is the oxytocin. And both men and women secrete oxytocin. And we don't secrete oxytocin just when we give birth, as it was thought. We secrete oxytocin all the time. We secrete oxytocin when we laugh with a friend. I'm very full of oxytocin now with you. I see both of us being pinkish and our faces are relaxed and we can see our eyes open and our mouths are not clenched. So I can look at your vagus. You can look at my vagus. We have a lot of safe communication here. So I know I feel happy. I feel connected. That's oxytocin. And oxytocin gets much higher when we fall in love with someone or something. By the way, I can fall in love with a shoe. If I see a beautiful shoe, I love shoes. I can get a surge of oxytocin. We can, we see, a, a, you know, small animals. Like if you see a kitten, you're full of oxytocin. If you like Seinfeld, that's good for oxytocin. If uh, you like stand-up comedies, that's excellent oxytocin secretion. But of course, being touched, caressed, and hugged in a safe way, that's the best way to have huge amounts of oxytocin. And oxytocin is an anti-inflammatory agent that helps our body to change and shift. This is why we use oxytocin to give birth. We use oxytocin to have an orgasm. Because what oxytocin does to our mind is it tells us that you can forget yourself for a bit, for a moment. You don't have to think about survival now. You're so safe that you can let go. So orgasm, which is, by the way, just a release of sexual energy, that's all what it is, a release of sexual or energy, is mediated by the ability to let go of everything for a moment of two and just be. And that's amazing moments in our life of huge shifts. If I allow myself more and more occasions of just being, then this library of danger, safety, and pleasure can be filled up with Beautiful small moments of happiness, joy, pleasure. And the more of that library becoming, you know, abundant, 
with this. It's, a, it's just really small stuff. This kitten you saw. Yeah. From so many of the experts we've had on, on the podcast, and, and I often share as well, is that present moment, which you just said, just being. They say if you can get into the present moment, then there's opportunity and things happen. And you're sharing this again, just being, letting go, surrendering, being in that present moment, which you said orgasms are one of those ways. And for those people that want to do it, not just sexual, sexually, now we've learned shoes. So if you love your shoe, shoe shopping, you can go and get your oxytocin from buying a nice pair of You uh, don't even shoes. have to buy them, by the way. You can <laughs> okay. gaze at them. That's okay. You can try, you can try them on. No, I'm really serious. You know, we have this thing that we think that if I can't buy it, I shouldn't try it. No, no. Go into the store. Ask for your size. Try them on. Enjoy walking in them in these very high heels that you'll never walk in. Play a game with yourself as if you're the woman who walks in these heels. And then return them to the lady and say, thank you very much. They weren't very comfortable. And usually they aren't. But you still have, again, in your library, this moment of happiness, of indulgement, of playfulness. And these are really good antidotes for stress and for feeling like you're in a test all the time. The more we take this thing of um, successing, being successful or failing, but more, you know, allowing yourself, your life to be this journey of explorations of uh, mysteries uh, of play. I am so in, much into play. Start playing. Have fun. The playfulness is so important. And, you know, and like our conversation today, hey, I didn't know we were going to talk about shoes today. <laughs> and so here, and, you know, Do when you, you like talked shoes? about- you're not a big shoe. No, they're not. No. That doesn't give me my oxytocin. But you see, you're into books, right? I see that you have Love such beautiful. And I, so, and I got a whole shelf in front of me as well. Yeah, when I get. Then when you hold the, the book, like let's say you meet someone and he just released a book and you meet and he gives you the book. And then an he oxytocin signs rush. your book. And then you yes. have a signed book. That's for you an oxytocin moment, right? Yeah, you share yes, this. Yeah. And that's really good for your nervous system. And the amount of opportunities we have every single day, every hour, every minute of, you know, adding another marble uh, ball to our big jar of uh, experiences, the more we choose the adding another situation, the bigger the library of safety our nervous system can host. And that's what we get to start to do now. That's what we can start doing and is creating a new library. And the idea of being curious and, and setting the intention to keep it playful is so important. And when you talked about self-love, again, some people, oh, we're talking about masturbation again. No, what I heard is self-love is that kindness that you have for yourself, that inner talk where you're being gentle and playful and curious and kind. You have a kind voice to yourself, the tone change. I, I thought that was fabulous as well. So thank you for, for sharing that. And I have just a small, small thing to add. We yeah. and people will say, "What about judgment?" That's usually what I get from people when I talk to them. What happens when I get judgmental towards myself? Then I say, "You can host that, but just don't give it coffee and uh, and a cake." You can tell judgment, "Oh, thank you very much for coming. It was a really nice visit. I need to go now." And then go do something fun. We cannot undo judgmental shit. We can only host it in a nice way again. Because what happens many times, we get judgmental, and then we get judgmental on being judgmental, and we get judgmental on being judgmental, you know. So it's yeah. okay to be judgmental. That's normal. And it's okay to compare one another. That's normal. That's how people do. But don't give it too much energy and don't initiate it. It comes by itself. You don't need to initiate judgmental shit. It just comes, right? And then you say, hi, um, it was nice meeting you. It's so nice of you to come. And okay, let's uh, try something else. I have a nice tool that I call Notice, Accept, Choose Again for that judgmental dialogue. Um, it basically, it's a tool of how to present moment. And there is a nice blog and a video where I go into detail on this on the AccuBalance site 
So if you search how to be how to present moment, the NAC approach, that is a tool to surrender and notice your judgment. And then how do you create a new library shift, right? And, mm-hmm. and the key, again, the intention here is to take up a new relationship with self, a loving relationship with self, where you have nice thoughts and ideas about yourself. And, and, you, and we can all do this. We can all re- rewrite or write a new story. In wrapping up, I wanted to ask you kind of two things. One is if you could share kind of in your practice, like are you using acupuncture in your practice for women to help with this vagal tone? Um, I know you're talk, you talk about sexuality and diet. So if you can share a little bit kind of what you're doing in these, in these hospital IVF clinics and just what are your, some of your tools? And then can you share with our audience, if you're open to it, this new venture that you're doing that are working with young women all the way up through the reproductive years? Because I know that's a big passion of yours. And I think it's an important thing that you're doing. So I, I would love you to share that as well. Sure. Acupuncture is actually really easy in that way. Um, since we have the vagus has efferents in your ear. So you just need to look on online on the efferents of the vagus nerve and needle them. That's really, really helpful. Also, all the points in the sides of our neck, like uh, small intestine 18, triple warmer, all these points are actually on the vagal nerve. So if you find them to be tight, it depends on what style of acupuncture one uses. So some would use, you know, the points on the neck, other will use points that work on the neck. Usually for those of you who, who practice Chinese medicine, Think about the gallbladder and triple warmer meridians. They're very, very beneficial. And we can, we will talk about it in the whole, you know, we'll do a lecture for acupuncturists about it and we'll use a lot of that. We can also teach our, our patients to massage their ears. Above the lobe of the ear are the efferents of the vagal nerve. So we can just hold our ear above the the lobe and massage it really, really, really strongly. We can massage the sides of our neck, the sternocleidomastoid nerve muscle. We can massage that. But the easiest way is to learn how to activate your vagus nerve by breath. And as I mentioned before, elongating your exhale while keeping your inhale natural. So we will do which is natural, and then we'll exhale as long as we can. We'll give all our emphasis, you know, we'll focus. It's also an immense amount of work on learning how to focus on parts of our lives that we want to focus and gaze on the parts we want to see less, to learn, you know, to be the best. You know, how do you call the man in the theater that does the light? The lighter? I, I don't know. Okay, so we know that, man, you know, the one that keeps the light on the actors and you know how the when you're in the theater, your eyes are always gazing to where the light goes. Right. The better we are and learning how to light our life. So focus is learning how to give good light. It's not that things that are not supposed that you don't want to see won't happen on stage, but you'll give them much less attention. So it's potentiality is very, very important. And breath again is so easy. We can do it everywhere. We can sit in the car and feel that we're stressed. And then I'll just for five, six breaths, inhale and then elongate the exhale. We can sing. Singing activates the vagus nerve as again, the vocal cord, the larynx are controlled by the vagus. So we can sing lullabies. That's why lullabies are so effective to babies. We can sing a song, any song that we know, and we can put the radio on or Spotify and fight something. Just activate. We can scream. By the way, screaming also activates the vagus nerve. If we are with people and we can't sing, we can hum. Humming is very, very beneficial. So you can go like, so you can go to the toilet and just inhale, exhale, long exhale, and then hum for a little bit. And your whole body will shift into a much more relaxed way. And I think the last thing you can do is learn that even opening and closing your mouth will activate just opening your mouth as big as you can and then closing your mouth as if you're drinking from a straw. 
that activates. There's so many ways we can, can tap in. Can you can you describe that again? So open your mouth as wide as you can. Ah, I like a lion. Right. And then okay. close your mouth at the smallest as you can, as if you're drinking from a straw. Okay, that's very easy. Lion straw, lion straw. That activates again. And if you'll do it when you take sounds in and out in yoga, we have a lot of postures. You know, like the lion when we do the ah, that's humming and opening your mouth. So that activates. Yoga, by the way, is very, very good for your nervous system if you like it. If you don't like it, it's not that good. So you need to find something you like. But again, that's learning how to like things. It's not just to say, okay, I can do it. No, I want with my patients to find things they like. And then I want them to find things they love. And then I want to find things that makes them really, really excited. So it's, you know, everything is gradual. And so we'll share a few of these ideas. There's acupuncture. Mm -hmm. There is um, acupuncture or acupressure in the ear that you, you mentioned. Absolutely. I have on the Acubalance a blog with three mind hacks to elicit the relaxation response. And one of mm -hmm. them is about the breath. And I like the in for four, hold for four, out for eight. Because as Karin shared, that long, slow exhale, almost as, as if you're breathing through a straw, has been shown to change the vagal tone to engage the parasympathetic. So it's a nice way to communicate to your body, I am safe. And you can probably Google a whole bunch of things to, for vagal tone that can help you relax, relax the body. It's interesting because you talk about the points on the neck or massaging the neck. A lot of the stuff I do in my practice with low-level laser therapy, we do do a lot of stuff in the lower abdomen and mm -hmm, the sacrum, mm -hmm. but a lot of the points that we use are on the neck because mm -hmm, it increases exactly. blood flow parasympathetic because of the because of the vagus nerve and the carotid that we're we're working close to and so i invite people to check out the three mind hacks for eliciting relaxation that i have a blog on and then karen how can people learn more about you website and let us know about this organization that you have started up with other brilliant women to work with women from early on in their life to later on in their life so i'm a very low-tech person so i don't have a website kind of proud of it but i will probably change with this new venture so there is my course in in your website so you can listen to that and i hope we'll do one about uh, the polyvagal and the vagus and acupuncture one day so that will be available one day but at the moment i'm working to establish a chain of clinics for young women and the first question everyone asks me how young I would want to meet women as young as possible so they will be able to learn instead of unlearn. The thing I saw most in my clinic, and again, I'm so lucky to be working for 20 years because I have patients that I attended their births and then I was with them as their uh, acupuncture doctor throughout their childhood with their mothers and with the first signs of sexual development, I was there. With the first, uh, I mean, with Menarch, I was there. And the, I was lucky enough to see, it's going to sound a little bit arrogant, but I will allow myself that if individuals get good education from childhood through adolescence, their outlook towards menstrual menstrual health towards sexuality is so very different than one that I have to help my patients and their families to unlearn what society taught them. So the reason why I wish this voice of healthy, of pleasure, of joy, of enjoyment, it's so wonderful being a woman. I just love it. And I am really, really, I have this really strong urge to have more and more women as young as they can learn how to enjoy being a woman so society will be able to change. I know it sounds very megalomanic, but I don't mind it. I think it's really important. So we're planning to establish clinics. We're still not sure how and where. 
as we want them to be not for the rich, but for everyone. So we're working hard and understanding insurance in the United States, and that's really difficult and, you know, how to do it, but we'll figure it out and it will happen. I'm I'm a believer in my group. Uh, we are called Journeys. I really hope that we will become live. I mean, we will have a site and Instagram and all that when we will feel ready. It's really we're on our first steps. We're like babies learning how to learn. But I have a strong belief in us. I think we'll be able to achieve it. Yeah. Well, having known you for many years and your passion and your determination for good, I'm confident you will succeed as well. And I, and I send you the best wishes on, on your intentions to, to launch this and to help women at all stages of, of their life. So thank you for being born and thank you for doing all the work that you do with all the people that you support. Thank you guys for tuning into the Conscious Fertility Podcast. I will put down in the show notes how to connect with Karin. And in the show notes, we'll put a link to that blog about um, how to present no moment, the NAC, mm -hmm. and um, also the link to the uh, blog on how, uh, three mind hacks to help elicit the relaxation response, and then talk to your healthcare providers. There's so many simple tools that you can do at home, like massaging your earlobes or inside your ear um, to help support that vagal tone. Karen, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. And I, if someone feels they need to speak with me. It's okay to write me. Don't be shy. Uh, don't uh, feel uncomfortable. I'm fully open to it. Just write me an email and I'll happy. I'll be very, it might take me time, but I'll be very happy to connect. And if something was triggering and you want to, you want a hand, then my hand is yours. Okay. Thank you, Karen. And for those, she mentioned some lectures on healthy seminars. Those are for acupuncturists. And so um, we'll leave that down in the show notes as well. All right. Thank you guys for listening. And Karen, thank you for making the time today. Thank you. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to AccuBalance.ca, that's A-C-U-Balance.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe. Thank you.